So this is a, the last bit of the last prayer that Jesus prayed with his disciples before he was betrayed. It comes right at the very end of the uh, interaction of Jesus with his disciples. So it's, in a, in a sense, one of the last things he says to his disciples deliberately, like thoughtfully and planned out. And uh, it strikes me that the last thing you say to somebody is quite important. Um, you probably don't notice this, but in church traditions, in the liturgy, uh, depending on whether you believe the communion is more important or the preaching is more important, the last thing is considered the most important. So in our church, we actually do the preaching and then we have communion. I don't know who decided this, but um, we decide the thing you should go out the door with is a sense of the body of Christ having shared communion. In more... Uh, evangelical-oriented churches. They'll do everything first, and then they'll, at the very end they'll have the sermon because the last thing you should go out of the door with is what the preacher just said. Because last things are important, right? Last thing that people say. And Jesus decides to talk about oneness with these last few words. It's a difficult idea. Uh, made difficult all the more because we're not very good at it. And I think we, we find it hard to fathom. The kind of oneness Jesus has in mind here is not about uniformity. He doesn't want everybody to look or behave exactly in the same way. Or unanimity to agree on one particular thing or a bunch of doctrines or anything like that. I think he's talking about something that is far deeper. And he references the way the Father and the Son are one. So they're not the same person. They don't uh, impugn their own integrity by being one with the other. There's some kind of oneness at the level of desire and shared desire. They desire to honour one another. I think it's a rare experience anywhere in the world, including the church. The kind of oneness Jesus has in mind operates at a depth that we find difficult to even be aware of. So... Let's have a think about what this all means. The kind of oneness that Jesus has in mind has Jesus as central to it, interestingly. Our focus has to be on Christ if we're wanting to achieve this oneness. Our lifting up of Jesus as the person, as a prime example of how to live, as it were, central to our understanding of what's most important this is what informs our sense of oneness. People can gather around any number of causes or purposes or things like that. You might experience a sense of unity if you join a protest action or march in a march with some people or, as I've done at times, sit in prayer in a particular place with others and that kind of thing. Uh, you can really enjoy a sense of being together with people, but this is an even deeper unifying bond than that. The kind of oneness Jesus knows and demonstrates is a oneness in which he willingly gives himself totally. And this is a kind of thing that we're thinking about. It's not about me, and it's not about you, and it's not even about us. Oneness can't be about you or me, and it's not that we're of no consequence in it, but we're not central to it. Our social evolution means that we instinctually look after ourselves 
and there's a sense in which we default to being central to our own world. But Jesus is asking us to make a shift that is of the same magnitude as the shift in understanding that took place when Copernicus, all those years ago, worked out that the earth was not the central thing to the planets. The planets weren't revolving around the earth. You know, you look up in the night sky and you'd see the stars moving. Oh, they're whizzing around us. And what else would you think? Because we're the most important, right? And then Copernicus, with his keen observation and cunning use of mathematics, worked out that actually everything is going around the sun. And there was a massive shift in thinking which took decades or possibly hundreds of years. And in fact, the scientific community just thought he was silly. And the church eventually excommunicated him because it really mucked up their theology at the time. So it's a very difficult thing to conceive of the shift in which we are no longer central to everything. But that's what's required if we want to understand oneness. We cannot know the oneness Jesus prays for if we remain central. We must deliberately dislodge ourselves from that place. And in John chapter 14, Jesus describes himself or names himself as the way, the truth and the life. You've probably heard that passage. The oneness that Jesus is talking about is not a set of ideas or propositions. It is a lived relational dynamic. It is a way of life. It is a truth in the midst of it. It is the wholeness of life in the way that we live it. And we live into this way. We live into the truth. We live into this life. Uh, Brian McLaren has a book called We Make the Road by Walking. And there's a sense in which the oneness that Jesus is talking about is only discovered as we live into it. It doesn't exist as a concept. We must enter into the cut and thrust of actually getting on with one another, which is the hardest part of all and uh, find ways to encourage and build and strengthen one another. In the midst of that, we can discover oneness. Uh, Janet stole my thunder a little bit this morning because I was also going to refer to that poster, Don't Let Christians Put You Off Christ, or words to that effect, Put You Off Jesus. Uh, we drive past one of those churches that has those posters. There's, there's a group of churches, I think they sign up to a subscription service, service and you get these posters. And uh, it made me think that um, we're quite good at obfuscating Christ. As a church or as people, um, people frequently make the comment that I don't really like Christianity much and the church is a bit on the nose. Jesus seems okay. But they don't put the two together so easily or they think that there's a disconnect between the founder, the one that's supposed to be central to our enterprise and all those who have come along afterwards and decided to follow him. And uh, we've got a bit of a, an image problem in that regard perhaps. There's no doubt a bunch of reasons why people have that perception and uh, we probably have something to learn about how we go about making Christ known. But one of the things that is really important is that being a Christian is not just about a bump, bunch of propositions. In, in the Western culture that many of us have been brought up in, there's been a very strong influence of René Descartes, who uh, famously said something along the lines of, I think, 
therefore I exist, or there was a series of thoughts that kind of, he worked out that if you're thinking, even if you doubt that you exist, the very mere fact that you doubt that you exist is an indicator that you must exist because someone has to think the thought that you doubt that you exist, that kind of idea. But we, um, from that, extrapolate that what we think is really, really, really important. And I remember when I became a Christian nearly 40 years ago, I was told that it was basically about a set of ideas that I had to assent to, I had to agree to. And uh, the sinner's prayer that I prayed was carefully crafted to include the main points that I was saying, yep, yep, yep. And uh, I want to suggest that that was a clever trick of the devil. Because if ever you wanted to ensure a group couldn't really be one, get them to try and agree on what they think they think. (laughs) I mean, setting aside the limitations of the containment that words introduce to the whole idea of faith, which is so broad and nuanced and difficult for us to get our heads around, set aside uh, that complexity and set aside the fact that we often don't actually believe what we say or think that we believe anyway, the focus on propositions is inherently exclusive because you have to line up precisely if you want to agree. And any deviation means that you don't agree. And in order to belong, you have to agree. And you can't be one if you don't belong. So it's a really fantastic sneaky design, hey? Pull you apart at any moment. And I think one of the wonderful things here at the Mustard Seed is that you don't have to agree on a set of propositions to belong here. Uh, acceptance and inclusion here is not based on that sort of criteria. In fact, if you walk through those doors, we assume you belong by virtue of the fact that you walk through those doors. And until such time as you decide you don't want to belong, we'll continue to assume that you belong. I don't know if that's what you thought, but that's what's going to happen. And uh, we, I think, enjoy a healthy embodiment of the reality that the followers of Jesus are, in fact, a a band of outsiders. And the only criteria that exists for inclusion is if you want to be part of it. And if you want to be part of it, you're part of it, in that sense. And I think, as I've talked to lots of people in our community, and you people as well, about what you like about the mustard seed, or just comes out when you're talking, it's not just the great coffee or Jan's homemade slices, they do get a mention, but it's not really the main thing. Uh, It's not just that we get to sit around tables and talk and look at each other, or the fantastic music team, also true things, but get a mention. It's not the main thing. It's that people feel a sense of connection here. Slowly, gradually, as they come in, people see them and talk with them and share with them and start to bond with them. And we get this sense that we are continually converting one another into a body. It's a remarkable thing. And this relationship becomes a community. And this community becomes a body. And something really important about the true nature of God is discovered in that mystery. It's beyond words, in a sense. And it's never quite perfect but it has perfect moments and we experience it in a profound and wonderful way.
See, no one has ever seen the Father. Uh, throughout history, uh, there have been uh, healthy recognition that there are forces greater than us at work in the universe, and frequently these have been codified into religious belief systems, and there's been elaborate rituals that have uh, in- involved cultural activities that have been woven through, and we, we've kind of known about the gods, but nobody has ever seen the gods. They are invisible forces to be feared, to be respected, to be obeyed, to be called upon, maybe to be loved. No one gets to see the gods. No one has ever seen the Father except the Son who has come among us. And Jesus provides a unique access point for us and our oneness in Christ helps us to understand who the Father really is. Not as an idol, not as some picture that we can imagine, an old man in the sky with a big beard or anything like that. Not as the Ark of the Covenant as once existed in Israel or the the jar of manna that they had in the, the Holy of Holies or that kind of thing. The Father is revealed in the way Jesus engages with people, in the way he loves people. And subsequently, in the way we follow Jesus and care for one another, there's a deeper revelation of the Father in that as well. And the way we care for one another and the way we are cared for by one another, there is a revelation of the Father in that. This is the clearest access to the reality of who the Father is that we as human beings have available to us. It is actually in our lived oneness that the Father is made known to us in our own experience and, just as importantly, to anybody who cares to observe us and wonder, how the hell do these people do this thing? Why why does he like him and she put up with that person? And there's a mystery going on here because it isn't natural. It's supernatural that we care for one another in this way. I hope I didn't defend anybody then. You're all really very acceptable, but... The world is watching on and watching for the way in which we live into the reality that that Christ leads us in. We discover a depth and a breadth and a fullness to it. Our story is not simply a narrative. It is a narrative, but it's not simply a narrative. There are propositions we might say from time to time, but it's not just a set of propositions. We grow into a rich tapestry of relationships that develops into community, that becomes discernible as a body that has but one head, who is Christ. Most Thursday mornings, Janet and I get together in here and pray. We miss a few every now and then. Anybody is welcome to join us. It's uh, 8 o'clock, right? Yep, 8 o'clock, Thursday morning. And we just we talk for a while about what's going on, we think about the church, we think about the community, we think about world events, and then we pray. And sometimes I manage to let some of you know that we prayed for you, that particular... We pray for a lot of you every week and usually walk out the door and life gets busy and I forget to tell people that we prayed for you and that kind of thing. But in the act of praying, there's a funny thing that goes on. It's not about me and it's not about Janet and it's not about Janet and me and it's not even about you lot, or even about the world, it's bigger than all of that. There's a sense in which, for a moment, I can almost sense the oneness of it all in Christ 
and hold it there and attempt to put some meagre, pathetic words to it, but we pray. I, I don't know if that's your experience, Jenna, and you probably say it differently, but that's one of the times that oneness is most palpable to me. It's awareness that it's so big and I'm part of something wonderful, not central to it, but part of it, important part of it. Being one is not about being a focused force to get something done. It's not about being a unified front for activism. It's not about all agreeing to the same particular idea. It's about sharing a desire to live into the kingdom. It's a desire we have for ourselves that we would live into the kingdom and it's a desire that we have for other people that they would desire to live into the kingdom as well and that we will do whatever we can to foster and support and model and call forth that in one another. In that, we can become one in Christ and know the Father and make God known to our world. Let us pray. Lord, this level of oneness is something that is not easy for us to understand or access in a way because we're so accustomed to just being the one. Help us to continue to grow and deepen in our love for you that draws us beyond ourselves, beyond even each other and into a place where we do that which is eternally good for all people, for all time and call that forth in one another, not manipulatively or coercively, but by fostering a connection and a heart of openness that we might honour you in every way. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.